the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Shipping is not decarbonising in isolation. I know that's an obvious point to be making in 2022, but it's a point that needs to be talked about a little bit more inside the shipping industry. The process by which we eliminate fossil fuels from seaborne trade is no longer a shipping problem. It never really has been. It's a process by which the shipping industry integrates itself into the global value chain and starts realising that it can't achieve progress in silos. There are important conversations still to be had about efficiency and innovation costs inside the industry. We know that. But I would argue that the more important and urgent conversations are about shipping's position and visibility within the wider global energy transition. Now, I say this because shipping's fragmented and technical approach to problem solving are of little consequence to the energy ministers gearing up for next month's COP27 in Egypt. Joining up the decarbonisation efforts from ports, shipping companies and energy firms, that's about cross-sector collaboration. But it's also about engaging energy ministers as much as it is about engaging transport departments. We all know about the future fuels conundrum. Energy producers won't invest without off-takers, and ship owners don't know where to invest if they can't be sure of fuel supplies. But we're still too often looking at this as a shipping issue. The solutions are going to be much more multi-sectoral, and we need to have a much stronger collaboration with energy producers and the entire maritime value chain if we're going to break this logjam. So, as part of some wider conversations that I've been having recently, and yes, I promise there will be more detail on that coming soon, I wanted to offer another instalment in my recent series of progress reports on shipping's path to zero carbon. Listen, I think what people are really recognizing right now that uh, when you look at the calculus to get to net zero by 2050, you just look at the numbers. You look at, you got 70% fuels that need to be zero carbon, 30% need to be carbon neutral, you need 10 times more renewable power, 100 times more carbon capture. This is more than a shipping problem. Commercial gravity is not going to get you there. Regular podcast listeners will, of course, recognize there the voice of Chris Vinicki, the chairman, president and chief executive of the Class Society ABS, who was recently appointed to President Biden's National Infrastructure Advisory Council. He was out in Pittsburgh last month at the Clean Energy Ministerial Meeting where there was an interesting influx of shipping expertise joining the mix of government officials talking about the energy transition. Now, arguably, that shouldn't be news, but the reality is that shipping is a relative newcomer to such discussions. The development of green corridors and shipping emissions projects is progressing. Not as much as we would hope, but it is progressing. But we risk that progress being made in isolation if we can't start tying these projects into national energy strategies. But look, before we get to that fuel question and start talking about the blockers, I just want to set out some positive context about how much progress has actually been made. When I was with Catherine Palmer, the shipping lead for the UN High Level Climate Champions team in New York a few weeks back, and anyone who listened to the podcast a few weeks ago will have heard some of her colleagues talking, we spoke about the recent progress study that she had led. Now, You'll probably have read the headlines to that report that global shipping is only partially on track to meet a crucial climate change goal to have zero emissions fuels compromise 5% of those used in international shipping by 2030. But 
that actually misses an important detail about where progress is genuinely happening and where it's not. And I'm going to go into that in some more depth in another edition. But it's worth listening here to Catherine's point about the opportunity that shipping has to be engaging a wider discussion because we've actually got a lot to offer as an industry. So I think what's happened over the last couple of years is everyone's coalesced around the direction of travel, much more buy-in and engagement. So the question now is not where are we going, it's how fast are we have we got to get there? And so that's what this, you know, coalescing around the direction of travel, around then sort of projectizing that into near-term actions that different actors need to take so we can understand how all these components of the ecosystem come together to be able to deliver the transformation that is needed and setting out near-term goals of enabling conditions that need to be met helps us as a sector sort of say where should we direct and focus our effort. So I think what I would say is we've we've got this 2030 breakthrough goal of 5% zero carbon fuels in international shipping. We've been able to bring that more near term and set out what needs to happen by 2022, what needs to happen by 2025 to create these conditions around whether it's production of green hydrogen, whether it's um, market demand signals um, being created, um, whether it's financial mechanisms in place to, um, whether it's amount of investment or subsidies going into into infrastructure or, or production facilities. And what we can then say is, over the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of commitments, pledges, positions, And I said, that's all been really great because it shows that we're all aligned. But what we now really need to do is turn that into action. So we need to move away from kind of commitments and pledges into actions and solutions. And that's what I would see that this report or this first step of this monitoring and tracking of our progress is signaling we now have to a true shift into delivery. And that's from, you know, non-state actors as well as state actors. How do we come together and, and move into delivery? And as we go into COP27, it's very much an action-orientated COP. You know, this is about progress. This is about action and implementation on the ground. And that's really what the shipping sector needs to be showing when we get to COP27, that look what has happened and look what we're able to to prove on the ground. And I think, you know, some of the first mover projects and the green corridors, the kind of things that were launched at COP26, you know, 12 months on, we've got to be showing progress and implementation on the ground. So that progress is crucial. But if you listen to the podcast a few weeks back again, you would have heard me talk to Rasmus Back-Nielsen, who heads up decarbonisation efforts at Trafigura. And he was talking about this topic. But I'm bringing him back again this week with a live example that rather highlights the real-world issues here. Yeah, the, the shipping decarbonisation rests on the fact that we need zero-emission fuels being available. Putting these fuels to the market, it's, it's, it's a long journey. Uh, for our own sake, as an example, we signed an LOI in August 2020, 
and uh, we are investing together with equity partners, including a big renewable investment fund, 20 million euros mm. for the FEET study. So that's a front-end engineering design. We're, we're putting 20 million euros in without understanding if there's going to be an offtake, i.e. going to be a market, i.e. going to be a financiable project. Uh, within the next 12 months, we will have to find an off-taker, whether it's ourselves or somebody else. The challenge is, in order for a financing bank to go out and finance a six to 800 million euro project, you do need to have an underlying cash flow. And that underlying cash flow solely relies on the 10-year off-take. Right now, we haven't seen anyone being capable and willing to take the excessive risk, and it is excessive risk today, mm. to go and offtake a fuel which is twice or thrice as, ex as expensive as the current fossil fuels without understanding if there's a market. Yeah. There's a, there a, there a risk that for the shipping industry that our project gets converted into a hydrogen for, for instance, heavy-duty trucks mm. uh, instead. It's not what I would like us to do, it's not what I think is in the interest of the shipping industry. It's not what I think is in the interest of the IMO. But this is a risk. But if we have clarity on the future demand and, uh, and closing the, the price gap, then for sure it's going to be green ammonia and it will be used for the shipping industry, or with high probability, I should say. And this is the whole conundrum and the problem and the challenge. So problems and blockers for sure. But what's the alternative? Sit back and do nothing? No. Clearly, this is a multifaceted set of issues. But going back to my original point about having this wider conversation outside of shipping, I think that's key to understanding how we move forward. MSC's Head of Maritime Policy and Government Affairs, Bud Dar, was out in Pittsburgh with Chris Finicky at that Energy Minister's Summit that I talked about at the beginning of this podcast. For him, this is about pace and having several different conversations at once. In my opinion, Richard, it, it's an absolute must. Um, we have to be thinking in more holistic terms. I mean, when we look at our 270 to 300 million tons per year of conventional fuel consumption, it seems like a lot to us, um, but it's just a very small portion of the overall energy markets. And I think we need to be pragmatic about that and, and realize that we by ourselves are not going to drive the energy markets. I mean, we could send demand signals and we could work on you know, arrangements to, to help develop supply chains. But at the end of the day, this is a global, more holistic type of energy problem which has to be solved and a major transition that has to happen in all of society. We're part of that and we have to play our role. I'm happy to say, I think we've gone to being really one of the most willing participants in that transition at this point. And if you look at my company and others that, that have, are making big investments uh, towards fleets that will be ready to use its future fuels. I think it's indicative of putting our money where our mouth is, but without the fuels, it just doesn't happen. And that's not a discussion we can have within shipping and expect an effective outcome because mm -hmm. we don't control those pieces. So if you're not really looking outside your bridge windows and broadening the group of stakeholders you're engaging with, I don't think you're really going to solve the problem. And we've learned that also on a, on a company level with our strategic partnership with Shell, for example, we've learned a lot about how they have managed this situation with other sectors 
that they provide as well. They in turn have learned more about our needs, so it's a good mutual relationship. But that sort of knowledge that we've gained about aviation and trucking and rail has been really useful in sharpening up our thinking, not only on the technology side, but also on the fuel side. I think we need to do more and more of that, both on the localized partnership level, but also on a much broader scale um, as an industry. And I think it would serve us very well to get towards the end state we want faster. Coming back to where we started, a lot of this is about regulatory clarity. We have COP27 due to begin on November the 6th in Sharm el-Sheikh, and that is going to set the tone for next year's crucial agenda within the IMO, where the expectation is that the industry is going to have to raise its ambition from the current 50% decarbonisation targets to full zero emissions by 2050. Now, in the spirit of this week's theme of looking outside of the shipping industry, I am obliged to point out that the aviation sector this week finally got their act together and agreed on their aspirational net zero by 2050 plans via ICAO, IMO's aviation equivalent, the International Civil Aviation Organization. That plan is already being criticised by the Green Lobby for being weak and for being non-legally binding. Now, I don't really need to point out how failure at the IMO is going to be viewed if we don't get this together. Regulatory clarity is crucial at all levels, and that's why the next 12 months are going to be crucial, because there is so much work to do. Some final thoughts back with Chris Finicky. This industry needs a lot more regulatory clarity and consistency, because the problem is you move... You, the targets are still moving around. I mean, I'll give you a great example. The current CII trajectories are are basically tanked, you know, tanked to wait. Okay, the 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 those trajectories will tell you if you ordered a conventional fuel to, uh, ship today with a great amount of energy efficiency, it can go almost eight to ten years without anything. Okay, an LNG vessel is a twenty-year vessel. Now, if you go well to wait, all those things change. Mm. Okay, and and uh, the problem is, so the quicker you get that clarity and 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 by the way, on top of everything else, you got CI trajectories from the Poseidon principles from other consortiums that aren't you know kind of wedded together, and you and and then you got your CI trajectories that uh, you know that that uh, don't in, don't account for kind of what I call port inefficiency. So you got to, I mean, that's what you got to in the next year or two really start to ground out because this industry, once it figures out what it needs to do, it'll do it. And it, it, if you get clarity, it'll, it'll get done. But this is the, this is what has to happen. The next two cops, they got to, they got to sort this out and you got to sort it out relatively quickly if you got any chance to get to net zero by 2050, because, you know, right now I'm not, I don't really see a clear line of sight relative to some of the things that are going on. Look, as ever with these conversations, I'm only ever bringing you a few edited highlights here. But I think it's important to note why looking beyond shipping is important. COP26 was a moment where CEOs and industries got together to look at the potential of a multi-fuel approach but all in the context of the need for a large amount of fuels that are actually not yet being produced. And although some governments at COP26 made pledges and made announcements on the production or future production of these fuels, it's important to remember that they weren't making those announcements with shipping in mind. They were making those announcements in terms of potential exports or imports. So we can't just continue to look at shipping's needs when it comes to these fuels. 
we need to be thinking about it in terms of our role in the wider energy transition and how we are going to support it. Positioning shipping in front of energy ministers and discussing the work plans that we have, that's important. That's an important conversation to be part of right now. Shipping has the opportunity to be an enabler of the wider energy transition, but it also could be seen as a problem or a blocker to that transition if we don't resolve some of the regulatory clarity issues that are in front of us. I would say that the next 12 months, over the next two COPs and MEPCs, will to some extent define the future of our industry and where we stand on that spectrum of possibilities. Are we going to be an enabler of the energy transition or a blocker? It's up to us.